This episode is brought to you by ShowMeTheCovers.com. Use Grapple for 25% off. Alrighty, folks, we're back with another episode of Elite Edition. I am Matthew Priest, and I am A-L-I-V-E Alive and Kicking. I'm being joined, as always, on Elite Edition here. My good friend, Nick Braxton. Nick, how are you doing today, my friend? Doing great. Doing fine. Ready to talk about Blood and Guts, another AEW Dynamite episode with over a million viewers, and this time pulling in a number one cable ranking for the first time. Oh really? So this is breaking news for me. So the ratings are in. What did it do? Uh, uh, that's what I that's what I had read. I didn't. Okay. I think, I think the number of viewers is one point zero nine million. Okay. That's so up from last week, right? But number one across all cable. Which is impressive because uh, there was a big NHL game last night with uh, which is rare to say these days with. Uh... Which still probably didn't draw over a million people. <laughs> probably not. But it did have it did have uh, the most. Buzz on Twitter and on the internet of any hockey game in the last five years with the Rangers and Capitals. So they actually had competition from the NHL, um, and I'm sure they had competition from one of those real lives shows that always seem to do well in the cable ratings. So it's great to have pro wrestling number one, and it's great for it to be the AEW Dynamite. Yeah, that was a pretty good episode of Dynamite with a good match uh, to main event in Blood and Guts. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was uh, was a strong show from top to bottom, and uh, we'll get into it here if you're ready. Yeah, we kick it right off. Video intro and a little breakdown of what's happening, and we get Kenny Omega and Michael Nakazawa coming out to take on John Moxley and Eddie Kingston to start this show off. And Don Callis is out with Nakazawa first and says that Omega's not here, and uh, Nakazawa's going to have to go it alone. Nakazawa being in the ring... Kingston and Moxley make their entrance, and we get the old jump ski from Kenny Omega from the from behind with a belt, knocking both Moxley and Kingston down. Uh, this match, tag team rules kind of were out of the out of the system. It seemed like a, you heard Jr. really hammer on that in the beginning, the ten count on the tag, uh, also the choking with the lanyard by Nakazawa, like why. Yeah, uh, he makes a good point. Why wouldn't you just take that away from him? It's like choking somebody with your wrist tape. You do it so the ref doesn't see you. He blatantly did it right in front of the referee. So, Yeah, the refereeing was, if there was, I mean, we'll get to our top three and, and uh, bottom three at the end of the show, but refereeing is going to be on my list for sure tonight. Um, another JR line that I loved is, uh, it, it was subtle, but he said, anytime Don Callis' lips are moving, it's lies coming out of his mouth. I think I butchered what he said there, but it was just a great little line about Callis putting the heat on him. I like the little nickname Silver Tongue Serpent. Made a note of that. Clever there. I think that was an Excalibur one. Um, it's a lot of focus there, but yeah, the, the the rules. No matter what your match is, no matter what it is, and, and this was a big thing with AEW for me when they were launching, I was so excited about, and it seemed like early on in AEW they were real... They were trying to establish rules and trying to establish their own set of rules and making rules a focus in wrestling because every pro sport has rules. It's hard to get heat in a pro wrestling match if there are no rules. The problem, I think, is is you have all these different types of wrestlers wrestling different types of styles, and you have green referees who aren't there, and it just turned into this 
mishmash thing, and then the rules kind of went to the wayside. But sports-based wrestling should have rules, and this match had none, it seemed, even though they tried to establish some. But Yeah, well, when the going got tough for Omega and Nakazawa, Omega walked out on this match, leaves Nakazawa to his own devices in there with Kingston and, and uh, John Moxley. <laughs> Excuse me. And we get a half-and-half half Lariat combo for the finish. Kingston and Moxley go over. They celebrate. The Bucks come out onto the stage, get a little interaction there. And as Moxley and Kingston have their backs turned, out come the Good Brothers from behind, attack them. We get a magic killer. We get the Young Bucks with some super kicks. Omega comes back out uh, and delivers a one-winged angel to Eddie Kingston as that segment wraps up. Yeah, um, a few things I wanted to touch on here is that overall I thought the match was a pretty decent match. Um, my issue with the match, going back to that, was you have Moxley and Omega in the ring together, and whenever they were in the ring together, I felt like the intensity that should be there just it was lacking. It was like, I don't know if it was on Moxley's end, if it was on Kenny. It felt like it was more on Moxley's end because there was a moment where he was doing like Muay Thai knees and then throwing punches, oh. and they just look so soft. It's it so, doesn't it's not reminiscent of the two guys that just wrestled in an exploding barbed wire death match a few months ago. Right, and they've had all this heat for. I mean, he tried to what two weeks ago hit him with their car into the trailer. They wanted mm-hmm. it just it, it had phony it had phony heat to me. Like it wasn't real intensity, which has Moxley usually delivers on the intensity part. Felt it was live. Uh, Kingston and and Omega. I'd be interested to see if they have a one-on-one match because Kingston was selling at one point, and he stops in the middle of the ring to reach for the tag, and Kenny Omega has such a, a unique style. I think JR calls it unorthodox, which is always a good cover-up, where he's kind of herky-jerky with his moves. Like, he'll pause and then, like, explode. And then snap, and hits, snap right and, into and, and Eddie Kingston selling, and it, it, it threw him off a few times again. We, we talked about this when you're not working house shows and stuff. Those little things happen, happen and so their timing was a little bit off doesn't hurt doesn't take away from the match at all either these are just highly critical eyes i see here and things where it's like okay get you know this these two have could have a ton of uh potential if they work together um you know but those are like because like, there are a lot of wrestlers who listen to the show so i try to bring those things up if it feels like i'm being overly nitpicky with guys who've made a hell of a lot more money in this business than i have but that's you know things i notice and see so i jot them down um but like i said overall the match was solid they did do my biggest pet peeve in tag team wrestling, which there will be a separate realms of gap, grappling all about rules and tag teams uh, after this show, as they did the du- a big-ass double down right before the hot tag. It's overdone, it's overblown, and it just kills the hot tag every time you do it. Anytime the babyface kicks ass before tagging out, after getting beat up, no one wants to see him tag the other guy in, because why does he need him to come in? Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this was maybe the best match Excalibur ever called, I, I noted. Excalibur was phenomenal in this match, and I don't think those words have ever come out of my mouth, but I had several notes on how good uh, the chemistry, the commentary was. All three of them were clicking, and Excalibur held his own and didn't say anything egregious or dumb and was just on point with everything he said. Well, here's here's something to note. We talked about this episode of Dynamite a few weeks back being a one-match show, and it really was a one-match show because the live crowd only saw blood and guts live every oh, really? the first the first half of the show was taped uh the week before i believe it was i read this i guess Meltzer put it out there but because of the construction of the rings and the cage and how it all had to be set up time time wise the fans in attendance saw pre-taped everything uh, before 
Blood and Guts, and besides the uh, Omega and Miro promos that were on the stage, okay. those were all pre-taped. They were shown on the, uh, the big screens. The crowd's reaction that were there live to watch the show was what was piped in while watching the uh, the matches from the week before. So it was live crowd audience uh, uh, noise, but pre-taped matches. That's interesting. They did a good job of making that feel live then with uh, oh yeah with the match, but that gives it time to, to clean up the the commentary things for sure. Um, no, I, that's good. That's a very interesting note. I had no idea. But uh, just going back to our point though earlier is is um, with the post match attack, right? Why? Should the fans care about the baby faces Moxley and Kingston if they're getting their asses kicked every week, outnumbered five to two, and there's and no other baby faces come out to help them? Like, yeah, there's that, no reinforcements in sight, and it, as we've seen the past couple of weeks, these two guys aren't going to be able to take out these five, six, seven guys uh, that are running with the elite. Yeah, it's like it's just little things because I think in the next segment we've got a post match where it's Rinse and repeat of, of heel uh, heels with the advantage, and it's like, you're not saying back in the day they did it right or anything, but I don't. It's almost like WWE has just brainwashed the the outside the box thinking of like, well, baby faces can't save other baby faces. That's a Vinceism. It's a w, very WWE thing because you want to focus on the star, but throughout wrestling history and just good wrestling in general it only makes sense like oh that guy's getting his ass kicked by five guys we should all go help him because then the fans the fan would be like oh the whole locker room loves this guy i love this guy it, it makes a baby face a baby face when he's got friends <laughs> it makes him care about him and something else that i care about was just announced uh after that match for double or nothing i think it's may 30th we will have the aew women's title being defended by hikari Ishida. Against the number one contender, Britt Baker, DMD. So we're going to get that match. And there's also a little plug for an, 80, uh, an AEW title announcement tonight as well with Tony Schiavone and Kenny Omega. But that leads us to our next match, which is QT Marshall of the Factory taking on Cody of the Nightmare Family. Uh, yeah, one thing I did did like about the rundown there, hard to hear, but they were piping the new Nonpoint song in uh, behind the audio there which was actually the theme for blood and guts was ruthless which is available now cody rose tweeted it out but let's do the non-points of band i've always liked it's cool to hear them on national tv cool how much did they pay us for that plug none whatsoever <laughs> show me the covers however <laughs> show me the covers.com on the other hand um but uh, yeah use promo code grapple read about it we're not going to get too deep into that tonight well this match qt marshall versus cody uh QT's coming out with a weight belt as well. He comes out with the factory, but they're only out for the entrance. A go-go solo and uh, who the hell else was it? Oh, Camarado. Mr. Forgettable. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I went up for the entrance. They go to the back. Uh, Iron comes out with Cody, and he stays. And Cody jumps out of this match. Uh, right in the beginning, he was going to – this is – talk about rules. Here we go. He was going to use the belt. Uh, and I think Bryce was the rep. Yep, Bryce, Bryce, was rep. Bryce rips that belt away from him, tosses it, turns around, and QT's got his and uses it. Why wouldn't that just be an automatic disqualification? Exactly. I mean, Bryce did do a good job of, of trying to enforce that, like, hey, this is like a warning match. Just, you know, it's a tough spot, tough spot 
for the referee to be put in by the talent. Here's the thing that the spot wasn't necessary. It wasn't at all. I agree 100%. It wasn't necessary at all. But this intensity at the start of this match was what was lacking with Omega and Moxley. Moxley. Um, But Cody and QT had great intensity. I I loved the the way they started, except for that the belt spot with the ref. Or if he did it, the way you do that is when Bryce takes the belt from Cody and he's going to get it out of the ring, Arn Arn and him are having a conversation, and then QT slaps him with the belt so that the ref doesn't see it, doesn't, you know, that's how you do that spot. Um, but well, hey, speaking yeah. of Arn Anderson, uh, <laughs> QT goes to the outside and has a little spat with Arn, and there's a little shoving match, and Arn gets a little physical and gets tossed by Bryce. Yeah, my my so Arn Anderson, and this is like just 100. percent You've known me a long time. Arn Anderson's always been one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Top top three guy. Um, I did not like this spot though. I don't like Arn getting involved physically. To get thrown out, I thought it took away from the match just slightly because QT oversells for him and has to, and then they go to the picture-in-picture, picture and he takes, takes right back over. Yeah, it's great on Arn on a blood and guts of War Games show to get involved and get a little physical, but it didn't do anything for QT at all for Arn to get involved. Um, it just felt unnecessary, and it and I love Arn. This is coming from one of the big, biggest Arn Anderson fans on the planet. It just did not fit. It was the only thing in this match that did not fit within the story of the match. They wrestled to their feud, did an excellent job with it. This just seemed out of place. Uh, just It's just Arn being a member of the Nightmare family going after a member of the factory, which, you know, was yeah. part of the Nightmare family, uh, you know, just three weeks ago. Yeah, doesn't mean it, it doesn't mean it needed to happen, but it, ex- it did, so. Yeah, and in the exhibition, QT did, did punch Arn, so I, I, I get that. I get that. Just... Felt strange to well, me. Uh, and we all have our own opinions. <laughs> another another reason we knew this was taped was uh, the, a bare ass QT Marshall got blurred out and led yeah. to a uh, unless there was a a dangler down there that got caught picked up by the camera. But no, this was blurred out a la like uh, some Ric Flair early nineties movie yeah. shots. Uh, but that led to Cody hitting a DDT. Cody went up top and hit this. He hit a Vader salt because it wasn't a full moon salt because it was more of that uh, cartwheel esque. I call it a fat man moon salt. Uh, Cody w- <laughs> yeah. went for the Cody cutter and it was stopped by QT. Caught him and hit the crossroads. It was a really nice uh, block and reversal of the of the Cody cutter. Led to a two, uh, a buckle bomb next by QT, and which he almost dropped Cody on his head. Yeah. But, man, he just jacked them right back up. That was pretty good cover. Good yeah. cover by the announcers. The announcers did a great job of of uh, not – it's so easy to do as an announcer. We've been in that position when you see something that's about to go wrong where, where you're like – Already oh, trying oh. to cover for it. And, and you're, well, you're just like – oh, you're reacting to what you're seeing, and you know it's like a, a fuck-up, for lack of a better word. The timing was off. So you're trying to recover, but you're just fumbling for words. Like, blah, 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 blah. And, What's my uh, best? for it <laughs> and uh and and shivani i think and shivani this might be the best thing he does is cover for those spots because he's like oh look at chuty just showing off his power there like you know what good job good job <laughs> shivani good cover there and, well yeah uh, go ahead oh i was gonna say qt hits that buckle bomb and it leads into the, the multiple tombstone reversal spot where it's just over and over and over and cody winds up hitting the tombstone on qt 
Gets that two count. Cody helps QT up. Shows that little bit of, hey, you know, remorse, really. Hey, you screwed up. Here's a hand, lend, uh, lending the hand to help you up. Like, kind of maybe, you know, almost patch things up. QT flips him off. Cody just picks the leg, drops him down, figure four, and uh, QT taps as Cody wins the match. And afterwards, we get our second after match little uh, mashup, two in a row. So a go-go comes out, hits that bolo shot on Cody in the midsection, Cody down, and a go-go drapes that Union Jack flag over him. I got here two matches, two post-match beatings. Exactly. Uh, no, my my notes on this. Uh, love the match. Thought it was a really really good match. Uh, QT Marshall looks great. Does everything really really good. Like his fundamentals are are awesome. He's a great hand. He just does not have that next level charisma, that TV charisma that you need. He's he's missing that, and it was very apparent here in this match. Probably the best match he he's had in his career. Maybe the best match he will ever have in his career, and the most important, the right finish. I thought it was the right finish, a strong finish. Cody needed to go over strong in this. We didn't need any goofiness of, like, oh, go-go with the gut shot, and, and QT goes over. Nope, it was the right call, the right finish. It doesn't – the Nightmare Factory, we've said it before, they're not ready to be on the same level as Cody Rhodes, who's one of the top stars in the company. So that's why I love the finish. Uh, the visual, though – of Ogogo uh, draping that flag over him. And, and, and a lot of stuff Cody does, and this is where you can almost see the different, how, how all the EVPs have their own creative control and Jericho. Because, yeah, some segments will run together, which I think what Jericho said on his podcast, they don't do production meetings in AEW, which now makes a whole hell of a lot of sense on why we get well, a lot of the same apparent. type of stuff. <laughs> yes, and camera shots, which we'll get to later. But Cody does such a good job in and everything he's involved in with those video package type visual shots and moments and that flag of a go-go, the fighting on the bus the previous week. Does it all make sense within the context of the show and the storyline? No, but, but it's it the memorable. It looks good in a recap video. You're damn right it does. And Cody, <laughs> more so than the than everybody else there, does that so well with his stuff throughout the whole. You can tell that's his fingerprints on it. It's like, this is going to look great for the video package with Ogogo. And um, yeah, that, that was a good, good, good closing visual. But to your point, two, two matches, two baby, you know, you had a baby face up here, but two heels walking out with the heat. Yeah, this looks like this feud is kind of going to shift to Cody and a go-go with QT is, still leading the factory, just maybe calling the shots as a go-go is getting a little a rub from Cody here. Which I like. It's it's the right call because a go-go's got the highest upside out of all four of them. Oh, and, definitely. And if, 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 if there was the stories at the start of this angle that it was going to be like that, that Cody was heavily influenced by the Zabisco San Martino storyline and taken from a lot of other old storylines for this. So that would make sense using a go go in this uh, in this over QT because QT I was like QT doesn't seem like the right guy to give that rub to. Ogogo, on the other hand, does seem like the guy that Cody could rub and put over and a good. It could end up being a really good deep storyline, and that we kind of wrote off too soon. Um, if Ogogo is the guy. Well, speaking of guys getting rubs, coming up next we have a recap of the whole Darby Allen, Sting, Scorpio Sky, and Ethan Page fiasco, 
and we are uh, up in the nosebleeds with Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky. They got an interview with Alex uh, Marvez. Sky, basically, he's going to be taking out Sting. He calls him a bitch. He's, you know, when you use the word bitch, things get serious in pro wrestling. Uh, and all ego, Ethan Page doesn't want to go down the history with uh, Darby Allen of matches. You know, nobody's heard about is what he stated. But he'll go down the injury history of all the injuries he has, uh, Darby Allen has sustained from the hands of all ego. And Darby jumps him from behind, which... Hey, Darby is uh, scratching a claw to stay alive every week, and these guys just making it harder and harder for him, so why not jump him? Uh, they brawl on the concourse all around. Uh, Darby climbs a lighting rig real quick and hits yeah. a coffin drop on Ethan Page, and as he's basically getting up, Scorpio Sky comes out of nowhere and just nails him with a trash can. Uh, Page and Sky up on Allen, and they toss, well, not just they. Ethan Page grabbed Darby Allen, tossed Darby down a set of stairs, concrete stairs, uh, and they have the doctors checking on Darby as we go to pitcher and pitcher break. Yeah, it looked gnarly, very gnarly spot. Great segment. I, I, I thought it was an excellent segment, but a lot of heat on this show so far. Um, a lot of heat, and, and I like how this became the theme throughout where they kept plugging well, the updates on where Darby was really up until the main event. So Yeah, good, which good. we'll get into right before the main event. <laughs> well, yeah, really, really good job here for a story throughout the show. Now, I am curious, was this taped also, or was I this live? I believe so. I believe so. Okay. I believe everything that happened before the Kenny Omega interview, which we'll get to later before Blood and Guts, there's one more interview as well, was all pre-taped. It did seem like... Now that you say that, because I remember being like, yeah, they're showing a lot more crowd shots than they were earlier. The well, crowd the, seems more full. Like, it just seemed yeah. they had really the crowd, weird. Well, they had the crowd there watching, on, and I guess they came out to tell them, react like this is live, because your audio will be what's going through uh, TV. Right, but the, they must not add the video on them, though, because the, the whenever they there was one... I think it was the Maxley Omega entrance. The crowd seemed a lot lighter than it was for for Blood and Guts. Um, so. Yeah, possibly for the entrance, but anything else that because like if they showed a crowd shot in in the middle of a match, it was either on one crowd member or maybe yeah. a small section. They were all packed, but those uh, I'm pretty sure were all live crowd members. Okay, I mean, I just Blood and Guts was like, wow, this place is packed. And it didn't seem like it earlier, so it does make sense that you know we're on that. But well, yeah, Pat, no, like, speaking of packed, real quick, a little uh, news that got dropped last night as well. Apparently, Double or Nothing at Daly's Place will be a full 100% capacity show. So looking at, I think somebody said 5,500 people they fit into that amphitheater. So that's, yeah. That's how- I think I, yeah, I think I saw that it fits 6,500 for a concert. So for a wrestling show, 5,500 makes sense. We take the yeah the full, some most of the pit out. Um, interesting that it is two weeks right after the UFC show. So Jacksonville must have had some feedback from that. That was in Jacksonville in an arena, 15,000 sold out. Um, so they must have got the feedback from it and said, you know what, the hell with it. Pack yeah, this well, place. Right? Hey, let somebody else do the legwork and. <laughs> reap the benefits off uh, afterwards speaking of leg work <laughs> rebel comes out here with dr Britt baker for her match 
Rebel's got that, uh, she's got the Bob Orton injury to, to her knee, which just never seems to heal. Yes. Uh, taking on this week's job or Julia Hart. No offense, Julia. Sorry, but we know what reason you were here for. Yeah. And, and this, well, real quick, this was a, I thought this was a really good thing to put the hottest female talent going right now on this show that we already know is going to draw a big rating due to the main event. Get her out there. She is the star of the AEW women's division, and this just shows it. But realistically, squash match. This got the rubber glove and the lockjaw over. Britt Baker wins and just gets her out there to another big audience. Yeah, no, 100% agreed. Um, 100%. Like, but my only issue with this was uh, the graphic they showed earlier for the match announcement. I felt like it would have been perfect right after this match. Like, yeah. that way the focus stays with Britt Baker. It's the, oh, we got our first match announced for Double or Nothing. Well, it's the, official. And, and then we don't have two matches back-to-back with something post-match as well. Right. So this, this would have been a good uh, a good spot to plug it right in there. Julia Hart, I've, I've seen a lot better uh, unknown female talent that they've used in AEW that, you know, Nothing was wrong with the match. It's an enhancement match, but she was very apparently green and probably not someone you put on TV in an enhancement match here. Um, you know, the Amber Nova a few weeks ago, the difference between Julia Hart and Amber Nova, very drastic to do the same thing. This All next right. thing, one of my favorite parts yeah, of the whole I, show. I was just going to say, I was so happy they brought this back. Uh, we haven't seen this in months since Taz really was excuse me, uh, on commentary almost every week, we get Taz's technique. And Taz used to do this weekly, break down somebody's move, explain how it works and the functions behind it. And this week, it's technique by Taz on Christian Cage. And he's sort of breaking stuff down, but as he's breaking it down, he's making digs at Christian, uh, talking about his frog splash, uh, the kill switch, his a little bit of his match with Hobbs there. Uh, he but puts he, Hobbs over. Yep. And like oh. Taz still gets his guy over with it. Yep. It's, it's so it's such a good 30 seconds or however long this was. And furthers the angle with a very simple video. I loved it. Yeah. And that leads us to the four way tag team eliminator match. Uh, Varsity Blondes taking on Jurassic Express, taking on SCU, taking on the acclaimed, the top four ranked tag teams in AEW. Uh, realistically, this this whole match was just centered around the SCU stipulation. If they lose, they break up. So you can't. I mean, I don't see the uh, SCU losing in a four way tag match that no, didn't just, have really ramifications besides a title shot. Uh, so you, just, going just, in, you kind of know this. Yeah, it's it's just effects. I did not like this. This was the biggest down. I mean, we'll talk about it later, but we'll touch on it now. Biggest down part of the show to me because JR does put it over on commentary that you've got all the top four teams fighting for the contendership spot, but you also have your top four teams where three of them are going to eat an L, and it's it's unnecessary. It it and the match was sloppy all over the place. Would have been better if it was just SCU and. I really didn't take many notes on this match. Uh, I've got. The caster rap in the beginning was a home run. It was really good. It was really, really good rap. Uh, God, his but, partner stinks. <laughs> Daniels pinned, uh, I believe it was Pillman Jr. for the win. SCU is going to take on the Bucks next week. 
but yeah, just yeah. not anything of my my notes are, which is funny important. enough. My note was is my first note on this is a question is, and it's more of a universal question. Well, the word is in there, but here we go, Nick. Why aren't the rules universally taught to wrestlers? Like this, like, and what triggered this was uh, Caster, I think it was, was standing on, like, he had one foot on the bottom rope, one foot on the middle rope to reach over to make a tag to the guy in the ring. And, you know, refs just let that happen. And then you see these, you know, earlier on in the show, we, we talk about, like, you know, the no rules in this match. So it's like, I feel like, yeah, the problem could be with the referees, but the wrestlers are the biggest pro- culprits of breaking rules and not even knowing the rules of wrestling. And that's something that I think has just gotten lost through the years with all the different types of wrestling people watch and consume, but no one's taught it in wrestling well, school. until there is an actual laid-out set of rules. Oh, but there is. Uh, but <laughs> it, is there one that says there's an AEW rule book? Uh, well, there was supposed to be one that yeah, yeah. there was supposed to be one, out, but, but there until, was. But I understand what you're saying, but that doesn't mean that doesn't cover every landscape of professional wrestling. No, but but why why should it like the foot the rules are such a hot like, any sport you play as a kid anything you get into is a well the rules of the CFL the rules of the CFL and the NFL and the Arena League are all different. They're all different. The same game, same but they're game. established. But they're established on what well, they are. The, and the there's players no, know what they are. There's no establishment of real rules anywhere across the board in professional wrestling, to be honest with you. Not anymore. There Not used to the be. Past thir- yeah, well. This Not is- anymore. Jack and Jerry Briscoe aren't running the territories. <laughs> and, you know, we're not getting Chief Wahoo McDaniel. And I, that, and I think, though, that's the problem. Uh, not, I mean, there's nothing wrong with pro wrestling. We're in a boom right now. But I think pro wrestling could be better if – there was a week of wrestling school where everybody in every wrestling school in the country taught the people rules or, or a foundation of, hey, when you make a tag, both feet have to be on the apron. The whole legal-illegal contact. Not to say tag, because tag matches kind of get real complicated and, and things like that. Well, However, um, the choking stuff, the using of weapons, it's like it's a, you're killing referees here. When some and then there's another spot in this match later on where Luchasaurus is standing in the middle. He's in the middle of the the ropes and makes the tag. Nowhere near his corner. The 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 rules. That's why I said I need to do a full podcast on my own with just rules and rant and rant. I get it. Once wrestling became entertainment, is when rules were meant to be bent and broken. So rules are meant to be bent because that's how you get heat. That's how a heel gets heat. But you have to have established rules, and when no matches follow a similar, and, and that's on, and this is not just a fault of AEW. It's it's a rest, it's a pro wrestling problem universally. Yeah. I think the only company that probably enforces the rules well is New Japan. Yep. And, and speaking of New Japan, we get a little hype video for next week's IWGP United States Championship match between champion John Moxley and. Returning to the U.S. for was is it since WCW? I, he might have. I, I, I think he did something in in, in TNA. I feel uh, like I remember him wrestling Samoa Joe in TNA. Well, we get New G Yuji Nagata Blue Justice coming over for uh, a title match against Moxley next week. So that's pretty big, uh, and that leads us to where we finally are live in front of the crowd 
Yeah, uh, real quick on that package. Great video package. Oh, it was New Japan produced, it looked like. Just great. Yeah, yeah, because they were, yeah, they were, great video package. Just a weird placement on the show where John Moxley got killed earlier on uh, and kind of doing funny ha stuff with Eddie Kingston and Nakazawa. And then in this video package, it's the Moxley that for the first year plus, first two years of AEW, pretty much, year and a half AEW. That's the John Moxley we saw, that serious ass-kicking guy, and we haven't seen that in a few weeks. That death rider, John Moxley. Yeah, just just oddly placed on the show where he just got his ass kicked uh, and was laid out in the middle of the ring. So, well, hopefully the death rider style Moxley shows up next week and continues to show up. And hopefully it just sticks because John Moxley's not funny. Well, we go back in front of the live crowd on the stage, Tony Schiavone. Brings out AEW, TNA, Impact, and AAA champion Kenny Omega with Michael Nakazawa to make the big title announcement. You know, I wish, nothing. I wish Omega came out with him having all the belts and then handed off the other three to Nakazawa. Yeah. I, it, I, if I was Impact or if I was uh, AAA, AAA, I'd be pissed that Nakazawa was wearing my belts um, where Omega could come out with them all and then hand them off. Mm-hmm. That's no, I get you. It, it looks it looks a lot better with Omega actually yeah. having all the belts. Yes. Um, but basically, Tony breaks it down, and next week the new rankings, which not very happy with these uh, rankings and how this came out. But next week, Orange Cassidy will take on Pack in an, an eliminator match. Winner gets a title shot at Double Nothing against Kenny Omega. Uh, for so real quick. No Hangman Page. He loses one match, and he's out of the number one spot. I have that same thing and, written down. And if if so, why doesn't Brian Cage bump up to that number one spot? I have the same thing <laughs> written down here, Nick. I was so confused, and I'm like, Pac hasn't been in a singles match in months on TV. He was just in a tag match that lost a couple weeks ago. Yep. And and then Orange Cassidy has been just floundering around the mid-card since Jericho. He lost his TNT title match not that long ago after that. And well, who's Orange Cassidy beat? Where Angman Page has just been dominating on TV. Really short-sighted booking, I feel like, here. Um, and then also strange that they had Orange Cassidy out here for this. Well, it's like... No well, sign of Pac. <laughs> well, yeah, well, no sign of Pac. And it, the thing is, like, okay, it's they, it really looks like AEW wants Omega and Orange Cassidy. And it's kind of... It Kind of just only time, but that that was a match that they want to have in front of a bunch of fans. For and sure. now here we go, 100% capacity, and it seems seems like they're rushing this match to get in front of fans. Uh, but yeah, yeah Orange Cassidy, <clears throat> Omega put over Pack in the beginning of this interview. You know, Pack has beaten Omega a couple times now. Uh, yeah, so really good. Kenny Omega looked like a star here. Good. Delivered a promo like a star here. Kenny, this was one of the better Kenny Omega promos I've ever seen. Yeah, and he just tells Tony, announce the match. It's going to be Pac versus Omega at Double or Nothing, which brought out Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy, not much going on, uses Tony Schiavone as a little arm stand. Uh, Kenny just berates him, laughs at him, takes his glasses. Uh, he just basically finds Orange Cassidy to be a joke, took mm-hmm. the glasses, put them on Nakazawa, and they walked away. So next week, we'll get that. Eliminator match, which 
if you remember the first time those two, there is heat between Cassidy and Pack from way back. Yeah. The revolution of last year. Uh, it's right still kind of pandemic. Time. And we just saw best friends at Death Triangle start their feud yeah. back up again. So I see, I can see this match happening for that reason, but not for a, a title shot at Double or Nothing. Yeah, or or like I feel like this would have been fine to have Kenny Omega cut his promo um, about a contender for the pay per view, but you don't announce what it, you know anything specifically to it. Then maybe after the match next week, you could announce. Hey, this dude, your this this match, by the way, was a title eliminator, and this is this is who Kenny Omega is going to face because it just feels out of nowhere. Um, because the match does it does make sense to have the match, just not for the stakes involved, in my opinion, and obviously yours as well. But I do have a question for you, being a much bigger Kenny Omega fan and following his career a lot closer than I have, especially in Japan. How did he make sunglasses famous? Uh, he wore them out as the uh, the cleaner. When he came out as the, the cleaner gimmick, that's when he started wearing the sunglasses. And that I mean, funny. that's what I could garner from it. <laughs> I was like, guys have been wrestling. Like, like Diesel had sunglasses. I mean, he like, was, a, he was, a, he was the junior champ. And, uh, yeah, I remember that era. Kind of doing Omega, his baby, but... stuff, baby face stuff. But when they kicked AJ out of Bullet Club and he became the cleaner Kenny Omega, that was the look. The glasses looking like the Terminator, basically. Uh, and I remember, I remember, I remember that. I just didn't know that was part of his gimmick. Like, yeah. I didn't know sunglasses were something that was like a big part of the gimmick. Because uh, it felt like other guys throughout the history of wrestling have been more synonymous with sunglasses than Kenny Omega. So it does right. make sense, though. <laughs> yes. So if you, um, ex- that explanation does help, does make sense with the, the Terminator side of Kenny Omega. So thank you for that. Yeah, well, we Answer. had a quick commercial break, and we come back to another great i like this this was good this was the miro interview with tony shivani real quick in front of the crowd let's just sum it up real quick miro has a shot at the tnt title it's time he told people he's put him on notice if you have a title you're on notice and now is the time miro with the tnt title shot against darby allen next week and that's if darby allen can make it because we're still playing up the fact that ethan pace chucked him down a set of concrete stairs so Miro takes on Darby if, unless Darby doesn't show up, and then Miro just wins the TNT title by forfeit, and that's just that's just the way it is. And I am I like the fact that okay, Darby's coming off this injury, so if he loses, we have this injury to fall back on. But if he wins, like again, ultimate underdog, Miro is gonna kick Darby's ass. I don't know if it's gonna be uh, to the liking of. Uh, Brody Lee and Cody, that match where he just had a waste. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, first I, thing I, I thought of when this happened. That first or, thing I thought of. That or Lesnar and Cena from uh, yeah. was that SummerSlam a couple years well, years back. But I see Dar- I see Darby dropping the TNT title next week to Miro. It sure does seem that way. Uh, it seems like it's going to be awfully hard for them to justify Miro not winning. Yeah, <laughs> with all the momentum he has and I mean, Darby has a lot of momentum, too. I think we talked about this last week or maybe two weeks ago where I mentioned, like, Miro going, talking about going for the belt. Darby seemed like the prime candidate, and he'd be a guy with Darby winning these matches and just pulling him out that could just go in there and dominate him and, and actually be the guy to beat him. So I feel like the story actually makes sense here. The throwing down the stairs thing is to protect Darby so when he does 
lose, but you never know. They could throw a giant curveball at us and have him go over, which then what the hell do you do with Miro? But the right thing to do is to have Miro win. It protects Darby. Darby and Sting can face Sky and Paige, and somehow Lance Archer gets in there. And who knows? Maybe Lance Archer comes out and beats the snot out of Miro. Um at uh next week and we get no finish which is very rare in AEW and right. Miro and Archer though could be a match a, a lot of a lot of question marks and that's a good thing for television and booking is when you've got more questions than answers going into the next week well speaking of next week let's go through it let's run it down because that was the next segment and let me tell you next week May 12th Dynamite is stacked you yeah. cannot not watch this show. Whew. Right off the top, we have that TNT title match, Darby Allen taking on Miro. You have the Eliminator match, the number one contender versus number two contender, Pack versus Orange Cassidy. Winner gets a shot at Omega at double or nothing. You also have the AEW tag team title match. The Young Bucks will take on SEU. If SEU loses, they break up. Uh, we'll also get... There's more? Oh, there's, <laughs> but wait, there's more. Uh, Tony Schiavone will interview Jade Cargill, so we'll get to see Jade live yep. after we've seen weeks of pre-tape. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see, do we get like some uh, some early Randy Savage vibes where we get some managers coming out to to try to, you know, lure Jade Cargill into the stable type of situation? Yeah, it would be a great way. It would be the same same thing if she debuted a, her her whoever it is that way, and it's someone unknown. It'd be the exact same thing. So let's hope. Let's hope. We'll also have an uh, announcement for Double or Nothing by Cody and what he will be doing, which is always interesting to see what uh, Cody's involved in. And then another title match, the IWGP United States title, John Moxley defending against the returning Yuji Nagata. So right there off the bat, three title matches. and yeah, Four main uh, events. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and which uh, one goes on last? Exactly. The fourth main event is that Eliminator match, which, yeah, besides the tag team match at Revolution uh, last year, which was, you know, people, hey, it might be the best tag team match ever wrestled, you know, apparently. But uh, Orange Cassidy and Pac was so over in front of that crowd, so it'll be nice to see them uh, hook it up again and see what our results are. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, I am curious. I feel like with the way that show is lined up, you almost go have to go, oh, Darby and Miro has to go on last. And you're like, because of the way they've done the TNT championship. Then you're like, man, how do you have SCU and the Bucks not go on last with it being their last match against the title, potentially last match if they lose titles. But then if you're New Japan, how does your how does your title not go on last when you're loaning it out here? So it's it's. I would not want to be in that situation of uh, putting this match to, order together, <laughs> trying to determine, especially especially with the whole factor in that we've never had to deal with of, of television, right? Because like, mm-hmm. what quarter hour breakdowns are going to be? What matches getting PIP? It, it, it's I do not envy the the flow of this show at all, but it should be a great show. I could really see. Either the Eliminator, the tag title match, or the United States title match opening the show. Yeah, one's definitely got to open and one's got to close. I definitely think Darby is closing the show. Darby and Miro is going to close the show with the TNT title. It feels like it should based off the way they've been booking that title. But 
How do you not have Fox and SCU? Because that's the only title match that has TV title or TV time remaining. Every other match has to have a 60-minute time limit. So that's just, this is true. So, yeah, you're right. you got to close it with uh, – and unless with, you put Orange Darby Cassidy and, versus yeah. Pack there in the Eliminator, which could have TV, you know, TV time remaining. True. What's the time limit for uh, for Mox and uh, for I, the I U.S. Be, title match? I believe it's sixty minutes. Yeah. So again, New Japan great with the rules. Uh, we just don't know their championship match rules because I don't. I'm not a regular watcher of New Japan, but. I imagine it's going to flow over stateside. It's been a while since I've watched a U.S. title match, but I was the one the hell's the last. I mean, Moxley hasn't defended it, but what once in the last year? Yeah. Well, this is going to lead us to our main event of the evening: the blood and guts match, the inner circle versus the pinnacle. Man, both factions look great. Pinnacle out and all brand new white gear, wear it once because he ain't gonna be able to wear it again. Nice yeah, white, they, yeah. white, gold, and purple looked sharp. And in yeah. contrast to them, the inner circle all coming out in prison jumpsuits, uh, names on the back. Their look, their closest local penitentiary also listed on the back as well. Really cool looking gear, really toyetic. Hopefully, once. hopefully <laughs> AEW, uh, Jazzwear, and Jeremy Fadauer come out with uh, some blood and guts five packs for us. It would be great. What a match. Was Hager, match. The question, was Hager bleeding? Or did he have some it, cut? What it, was going on with that? It looked like he had sliced three little lines in his, his side of his head and some initials on the other side. I don't know if it was blood or what, but yeah. Because uh, during the... When they made their entrance, I was like, is he already bleeding? Where they, they did like a practice spot and he cut his head? But I didn't realize they were initials, so maybe he just dyed, dyed uh, red initials into his head for some reason. So, well, here okay. we go. We started off with Sammy Guevara and Dax, the axe. Dax starting off because Tully said he's got the biggest gas tank, the best, the longest running gas tank there. His workhorse, man. Yep, that first five-minute period, just those two in there. Uh, they were up on the top rope, leaning on the cage, and Dax went to get crotched by Sammy and took a really nasty spill. It looked like he messed his knee up. Uh, Dax was the first to eat the cage and get some color, and oh boy, did he get some color. Uh, Hot start, man. I miss Sammy Guevara as a babyface. He's such a better babyface than a heel. Just his, his moveset. And he's a good-looking kid. I always thought it was weird that he was, you know, trying to be a heel. But he did a good job with it. But, yeah, this was just – I mean, those, these two guys were – they were tearing it up. And since Sammy's up here, of course, the pinnacle has the advantage. So, after that five minutes, the first man in is the chairman, Sean Spears. Equipped with a chair, no rules, so you can bring whatever you want in, I guess. Uh, winds up nailing Sammy with a chair. Busts Sammy open a little bit. See a little work there. Two minutes after that, Ortiz comes in from Proud and Powerful, and he comes in with his own chair. Uh, it does damage to both Dax and Spears. But this shit is hot right now. Oh, man, yeah. It, like, it was, oh. Spears, Spears is such a great hand and talent, and he does so many little things so well. He, uh, so much like what I said about QT Marshall, you like take Spears there. 
he's got that little bit more charisma and it factor. You know, not a not a main event guy per se, but just so fundamentally sound and, and his timing is so good. And while Dax is recovering with Sammy, like the way they built to Ortiz coming in. And, and Ortiz, then Ortiz, the, he brought it, too. Ortiz and Santana both in the full dead president's makeup, just like they were yes. for that street fight against good uh, good friends. Best friends. Uh, but uh, Sammy and Spears had a great spot here in this little this little uh, two-minute period. They were both on top in the middle of the rope of the two adjoining rings, uh, one on each, set yep. of, uh, each side of the ring. They're just jousted for position. Ortiz chucks a chair, hits uh, Spears in the back. Spears has to take a step over to Sammy's rope, and as he does that, boom, Spanish fly. Awesome spot. But right after that, unfortunately, Sammy went for this double springboard spot and wound up getting a little too fast. A little too fast, slipping. They kind of covered it, uh, which brought in Cash. Cash Wheeler in next. Uh, Just... More, I mean, these two-minute periods, it, it is what it is. It's the team that gets the advantage goes up, and then it gets even for the next two minutes. Yeah, uh, that's why War Games is the best, man. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Cash had a nice gory special on Ortiz uh, on the apron into the cage. That was really, really good looking. Uh, yeah, and again, it kind of took Ortiz out where it put it to like a three-on-one. So then, well, Spears locked in the sharpshooter on Guevara, and he can't give up until everybody's in there, so he's just doing yeah. damage. Uh, luckily, two minutes was up, and Santana was in next, and he comes. Hot shit again. They in. recovered from the from the Sammy yeah. the Sammy slip up, and uh, I thought this should, it was just all it was just really well put together. And I'm curious what Sammy was going to hit out of that slip up because it did it did suck the air out for a minute, but they built it right back up with that gory spot, three on one sharpshooters. Santana coming in, you're right back to, to the hot shit. Unfortunately, we had to yeah. go to commercial break. We went to pitcher and pitcher, and that's when Wardlow enters. So you you really got to pay attention in this pitcher and pitcher, see what's going on. Yes. Uh, but during the pitcher and pitcher, we go the two minutes, and Hager comes in too. So we get two entrances. That's, that's my main gripe about Blood and Guts being on TV is yeah. dealing with the commercial breaks. Man, I wish, I wish they had somebody there. to – that or a sponsor that could have sponsored the main event and not had. Yeah. Because they not only did they have pitcher and pitcher breaks, they went into full, like full screen commercial after pitcher and pitcher. And like yeah. one of the full screen commercials was for TNT shows. Like, come on, we're already watching the network. Like, give us that in pitcher and pitcher at the very least. I agree. And yeah, like this would have been the perfect Cracker Barrel match. Like, <laughs> Put your Cracker Barrel everywhere. I mean, I haven't had that in a while, but, you know, it, it was I, – I agree. So, yeah, put the sponsor on the main event. Let them go. Or front – like, take out that tag team, that four-way tag team match. Take that thing out and then just add commercials to the front half of your show. And I know – and then front load them between the – you know, the Omega and the Rusev promo. And just tell your fans, hey, we're coming at you with commercials here early on so that we can present to you blood and guts commercial-free. Like – why didn't State Farm just sponsor Blood and Guts so we can get a full Blood and Guts <laughs> match with no commercials? Would have been great. But yeah, but yeah, so right when we and they tie, they put this together real well because right when we come back from a break, it's it's Hager's kicked his guys' ass, Wardlow's kicked well, his guys' ass, and yeah, uh, a little face off, and yeah. those guys go to uh, one side of the 
the cage and we get a nice little MMA type spot where they're working the cage back to the cage and we get, you know, a reversal. They, they're working uh, an over under, you know, a couple shots over under the guy switches over to the uh, next guy to back to the cage. So the uh, MMA influence there, obviously with Hager, uh, Wardlow looking great in that singlet, man, did he look like a superstar? Yeah. Uh, during this time, cash got busted open too. So he's got color. He's bleeding everywhere. And the only thing I would have liked to have seen different with the Hager-Wardlow thing was that Wardlow looked like the aggressor. As the heel, he looked like the aggressor going into Hager's ring. The putting of the match together, I feel like it would have been more impactful if Hager was the aggressor going at Wardlow's side because it's also the same side that MJF, the next guy coming into the ring, coming into his side, that would have been a good use of Tully to be telling Wardlow, stay put, stay put, stay put, make him come to you. Hager comes over there. Just a little thing. But it doesn't really matter because the match is still awesome at this point. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, like you said, MJF in last for the pinnacle. Jericho in last for inner circle. We get to square off all five members of the pinnacle on their side in their ring. Inner circle on their side in their ring. And then it leads to a bull rush in the middle. And everybody's just throwing fists. It's just a, a Donnybrook. As pinnacle and inner circle going at it. And... A lot of stuff started happening here. We got Jericho using Floyd. Uh, Sean Spears climbed a truss that separated the two cages, and Jericho was stuck his head through there, choked him out. Uh, That's a good callback. They started doing callback spots to previous War Games matches here. With the it was the ninety, ninety one, and ninety two specifically. The climb up spot uh, was ninety. Then the ninety one. There was the. Uh, um, you know, the head in, the, in between the ring and the cage spot. And then the 92, of course, had the turnbuckle PL spot. My only gripe with this was Jericho came in. Should have even the odds more? Because they, they went to a commercial break shortly after all this, too. Like, oh, this would have been this this standoff with each team in the ring. Because cause the inner circle, or the pinnacle, I'm sorry, threw Sammy over there just to have this stand about with Cody, this great visual standoff moment. Because when we come back from that next commercial break, it, well, it, real quick. it drags a little bit. Well, I would have loved to have seen that after that. Go ahead. We get a pitcher-in-pitcher, pitcher, and during this pitcher-in-pitcher, pitcher, some big things happen. Sean yeah. Spears is undoing the turnbuckle, which <laughs> plays a major role later on, which is another throwback to uh, earlier war games. Yeah, that, uh, yep. And we get a full break, you know, full-screen commercials, and we come back from a commercial, and the ring's torn up. You know, yeah. the canvas is up and the wood is exposed on the pinnacle side in one corner. And we get a spot between FTR and Proud and Powerful, where Proud and Powerful are standing on the wood there, the exposed wood, uh, in the pile driver position. And Sammy comes down and they spike FTR with that dual pile drivers. Uh, but how did we get there? We don't know. We didn't get a, a, a instant replay or anything. Right. Oh, production. Yeah. Production-wise, uh, a lot of big things happening in these pitcher-and-pitcher and commercial breaks, and that this isn't the end of it either. No. Well, yeah, we, and you'll see, yeah, the last commercial break, nothing happens because it's evident that they're waiting for, waiting for that cue. Oh, but, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just thought that, that, like, coming out of this, going into the break, this should have all just been fighting, brawling, blah, blah, blah. You go to this PIP, fighting, brawling, gaga, blah, blah, blah. Then coming out of it would have been the ideal time to do the standoff, and then all that shit could have got captured doing the same exact stuff post-standoff 
um, with the spike pile driver in the ring being torn up and the turnbuckle spot, all that could have been captured live right up until the the finale, if you will. And that would have just killed everybody. But there was a point in time where after FTR got spiked, after uh, I think Spears gets killed, War I forgot what laid Warlow well, out, and then they're they're stabbing MJF with a fork. I'm like, this yeah, is going on for a while. <laughs> you're you're jumping jumping the gun here. Sorry, sorry. Uh, you said you know Spears did get killed. He got killed by a coast to coast by Sammy Guevara yes. with a chair that looked real stiff. Looked really nice though. Uh, Jericho, uh, MJ or not MJF? I'm sorry. Wardlow was already down. I don't know what put him down, but Jericho nailed MJF uh, with that turnbuckle, and that's when we get MJF busted open, collar there. Santana takes out a fork. Shoutouts to D, aka Homicide, and uh, the original fork man, Abdullah the Butcher, as I look up at his classic superstar figure. Uh, but it was cool seeing both those guys get shoutouts there on AEW TV. Uh, and this is when I first seen started seeing it, Jericho just sweating off that spray tan. Oh, boy. <laughs> Blotchy on the forehead. My man, spray tan the day before. <laughs> yes. yes uh, as, but, as, as people who've had, had our fair share of spray tans, you got to get that. You got to get that 24-hour base. I will say it, the heat and humidity down in Florida does not help, but who knows? Well, I'm not yes, going to go into a spray tan rant. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, it was funny. I did notice that, too. And I said, ah, yeah, whatever. But, but Warlow uh, up to even it all out. He goes just – it was kind of sloppy the way he did it. He just ran and hit yeah. everybody. Like, it was kind of like Ultimate Warrior style, really. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah this is the part of the match from, like, this, yeah. that would have been picture-in-picture picture time. Like for, Exactly. But, Santana took him out, took his knee out. Looked, I don't know if he had uh, – some thought, Billy Club or what? I was wondering and, where that came from. Was and like, where the hell did that come from? Yeah, who knows? He could have pulled it out of his, you know, boot or something. And then you know, Ortiz hit Wardlow with a chair. Uh, Wardlow goes down into this pitcher-in-pitcher break. And this is where we get a giant part of the match happen. You know, uh, Aubrey was the referee on the inner circle side. She has a key to that side of the ring. And I believe it was, it was Bryce... The referee yes. for Pinnacle. Yeah. And he had key for that side. Well, Tully and Bryce are getting into it, and Tully takes Bryce out, gets the key, unlocks the cage, which allows MJF to come out. But this whole thing is happening in pitcher and pitcher break. Yeah. Uh, and MJF is climb, climbs all the way up to the top of the cage, and you see Jericho do the slowest climb to the cage, and like it seemed like every other rung. He looks towards the crowd and gets like you know, one of those old "Come on, babies!" Oh yeah, crowd yeah. Fire him up I don't think I don't. And this is poor on uh, AEW production, production for sure. For they just had once MJF and Jericho left the cage. I think there might have been a total of thirty seconds of footage shot inside that cage. Yeah, it was. You've got eight guys in there. We don't need to see the chase because we know they're gonna get there. What's going on in the ring? Yeah, it, it was it was frustrating because this it, is such a beautiful match. It's an excellent match. It looked and awkward like, and took forever. And like and I'm like production, it's killing these guys with this nonsense spot. I get it. It, it it's gonna make sense, but I'm like, this isn't the stuff that you if you go to a full commercial break if you're gonna 
put this in just look bad picture in picture. It would have been different if you go to a commercial break and come back and they're on top and you're like, holy shit, how they get there, but well, <sighs> once on top, Jericho puts MJF in the walls and he comes really close to tapping out, uh, but he reaches back up through the legs and big cross shot to Jericho. MJF with the low blow, he locks in the salt of the earth. Uh, and you can see this is really bad on Jericho's part and production's part this whole time. Once Jericho hits that low blow, he rolls over and he's facing the hard cam side. And you see him dig into that wrist tape and you see him getting his uh, little blade ski ready. And production's got to be on that. Oh, Don't yeah. show him. Don't show him because they show him later on, too. And we'll get in that. God forbid having eight other guys in the ring, bloody as hell, kicking ass, where a finish could happen at any time. Mm -hmm. Like, I I do not understand why they never cut back to the ring at all. Once it was on MJF on top, those other eight dudes didn't matter. Didn't matter. Yeah. Well, one thing I did like was more use of the Dynamite Diamond Ring by MJF. He goes to the trunks, gets out the Dynamite Diamond Ring. Nails Jericho on the head, busts him open, uses that blade we just talked about. He's also dig out for, like, literally 45 seconds. Uh, and this this led to the, the tease, you know, well, uh, MJF putting it all together. They're up on top of that cage. He's looking over the, uh, the edge, looking over at Jericho, looking back over the edge. And that's when he says, hey, if you don't want me to toss Jericho off the cage, you better surrender right now. And this is where production kind of fell flat, too, especially for the, oh the my God, so in yeah. arena crowd. The reactions to everything on this night, and especially knowing that the first half of the show was pre-taped and they were still reacting like they did, this was a hot crowd, and they were ready for blood and guts. But they weren't ready. They would have been more prepared for this finish if they could hear what the hell was going on. And it was hard to hear on TV because nobody was mic'd up. But MJF's yelling, he will toss Jericho off the top of the cage unless you surrender. And you know, Sammy is on the stage saying, no, 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 don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Two or three times t- saying it. And then Sammy surrenders. Uh, so giving Pinnacle the win, you just hear the bell. I mean, if you're in the arena, I mean, you could put two and two together. But, man, the presentation of that, not very good for that. And not yeah. very good for the reaction. Because, basically, the people in the arena just hear the bell. Yeah, then the, the bell rings. The music plays for approximately 10 seconds, then cuts out for no reason. Like, well, and you, during this time, when they're setting up this end spot, which we'll get to here in a second, you see, again, another big production flaw. Camera has Jericho and MJF on there. And you just see Jericho looking up at MJF and just talking. Yeah. yeah. You know, timing it out and telling them where we got to be directing the show there. And then MJF like, bends over because he couldn't hear him and, it, like, hits it in the ear. And I'm like, this is JoJo. Like, what the hell? It just great match up until, honestly, until, the, until Jericho got in this match. This was arguably the best war games I have seen up until Jericho got in the match. And then everything after Jericho came in, it just slowly... It wasn't a bad match by any means. After Jericho came in, the match just slowly lost momentum at a very gradual pace. And just I think, slowly lost it all the way. And then the end was just, everything was flat. Yeah, I, I mean, 
there was a lot of awkwardness after Jericho entered. Uh, like I said, there was a lot of that pitcher and pitcher stuff killed a lot of the match for the TV viewers. Uh, the Wardlow stuff where he just awkwardly takes out all five guys. That was, you know, not so good, but it really died for me during the pitcher and pitcher break where we, if you're not paying attention to pitcher and pitcher, right. You don't see Tully opening the cage. And then, you know, MJF and Jericho climbing, that kills it slowly. The story they told on top was fine. Exactly. But again, yeah. there was too much production shit there that screwed it up for me, at least. And yeah, that that is nitpicking uh, to an extent. But for people that are like, oh, you know, wrestling, <laughs> that fake stuff, they turn this on and see these guys chit-chatting it up like, oh, <laughs> my point exactly. Yeah, it, it's... it's um... Well, and I, we're a very pro AEW show. We are, I, we're not nitpicking to nitpick. We're being no, critical. We're being fan. critical to, because we want better and we expect better and we know they're capable of better. Um, and unfortunately, this finish, because, you know, obviously he's going to throw him off the, the cage. I don't even think we talked about yeah, that, that yet. No, I was going to say that's what we lead to. MJF pushing Jericho off the cage. So, you know, inner circle surrenders. And we know how shitty of a person MJF is. Hell, Tony Schiavone said it right there. Uh, uh, he pushes Jericho off through the stage. People are complaining so much about this. It's like, guys, it's it's a television show. He got pushed through a stage. It's made to look as real as possible. But we're not going to push a guy through, you know, off a 20-foot cage through a diamond-plated steel stage. It's just not going to happen. And anytime. Right. That shit happens anywhere else, you know, on Mondays or Friday nights or, you know, the random Sunday on Peacock now. Same thing happens. It's that that thin wood board and some padding underneath. But it's, it's just still, produced much yeah. better. Yes. Like the timing and the, the shots and the things. And, like, with AEW, like, they didn't have a group shot at all of, of like, the pinnacle celebrating their win Not except yet. for like a half a second at the very, very end. But MJF yeah. pushing Jericho, Jericho hitting the stage that's go off the air. Yeah. Go off the air. Like the TV viewer doesn't need to see three minutes of MJF bloody face close-ups on top of the cage with the camera cut to Jericho laying in some foam. With the doctors <laughs> and, all around him. And like, and I'm like, where is everybody else? That's all I kept saying. I'm like, this is going on way too long. Like, that shove off the cage, the spot's great because I assume Jericho, I know the Fozzie tour is like late summer, early fall. I'm assuming this is a way to get Jericho. Because I, I don't know. I know there's a show I'm going to that, uh, on a Thursday, and they do tape some AEWs on a Thursday. But um, I am curious on, on if this has anything to do with that, if he's taking a couple summer off, taking the summer off for the Fozzie stuff. I don't know if he's still going to make – Dynamite here and there seems like a good way to write them off TV for three, four months, but we shall see what they what comes out of this. Find it hard to believe that he won't do something at Double or Nothing, but well, it's that time as the show uh, came to an end. Dynamite, it's time for our three ups and three downs. So our positives and our negatives. Yep. Uh, you want to go negative first? I like to go negative. I like to end, right. end on a high positive note. My, right, well, my number three negative 
my number three down would be that four-way tag team title match. Just, one of my negatives. One of my yeah, negatives I mean, as well. It, it, we know. Yeah. It was a match centered around SCU. That storyline wasn't predictable and just not a very good match, unfortunately. It just, yeah, it just didn't make sense. It just, yeah. Yeah. What number was that for you? Uh, I had that number one, actually. Oh, okay. Hmm. Complete waste of time. <laughs> well, what, <laughs> what's your number three? Um... My number three was uh, actually Nakazawa coming out with those other belts. Gotcha. That was my number three. Well, well my... Uh, combined with the lack of intensity, because uh, I actually, I guess, in the I, opener. Guess, I guess my number three was lack of intensity in the opener, because the Nakazawa not coming out with the belts was more of an honorable mention. So now that I look at my actual notes, that was my number three. My number two is the whole new number one contendership. Yeah. Pac yeah. versus Orange Cassie. You know, no mention of Hangman Page really here. Brian Cage just beat him the week before the number one contender there. No, no mention like, of that either. Screwy, I, screwy booking to me right now. Just trying to force this match before it really... Forcing this Orange Cassie... And uh, you know what? Pac might, might win next week. Who the hell knows? But all signs right now are pointing towards Orange Cassidy and Kenny Omega. And it just seems like this match is getting uh, fast, just way too fast track. Oh, I agree. Um, I, I didn't, I, again, would have fallen with the Nakazawa stuff as an honorable mention. But just my number two was the finish to uh, the War Games. Um like, even though that's also going to be on my positives list, mm-hmm. the, just the absolute finish and the production more so the production of it. Well, um, and, and that's my my number one is the production of this show. Yeah. Uh, my number one, yeah, the production. I'm like I said, a lot of stuff happening, a lot of a lot of major things happening in picture and picture. Uh, and not only that, like I said, we see Jericho on camera pulling the blade out. We see Jericho on camera chit-chat with MJF right there before the last final fall. It's like, come on. We know we should know better than this. Yeah. No, I, I agree. And the referees was my other honorable. Those were like the things I had together, but when I numbered it, it was uh, yeah, it was lack of intensity and opener, um, four-way tag, and the uh, finish, the damn finish. So, Let's get positive. Yeah. Uh, my number three positive was the the commentary of this whole show. I, I thought this may have been the best commentated show AEW's had. Uh, definitely Excalibur's best performance. JR had a lot of great soundbite content that he's the king at. Nope. And yep. Shivani was saving. You know, Shivani was making sense and getting getting that raw emotion over. I thought the commentary maybe a little biased on my part for uh, giving the commentary a shout out, but. I loved it on the the whole show. I thought it was strong. Well, my positives, all three of them have to do with either matches or segments or, you know, pre-tape production segments. So my number three was QT and Cody. Uh, liked the match. QT really shined, had a good match. Uh, like you said, probably his best singles match that uh, he's had in AEW. I mean, I would put that up against the, the bunkhouse tag match that him and Dustin Rhodes had against uh, Butcher and Blade as QT's best match because that was a f- often forgot about, but a really good tag team match there. But that, that's my number three, QT and Cody. 
uh, minus some schmas at the end there. But that's going to lead us down the road to Cody and Ogogo, which, you know, Ogogo trains at the Nightmare Factory. So we know that chemistry is more than likely there. At, at the very least, the time put in is there between those guys. I agree. That probably, that probably would have been my number five if we extended our list to five. Um, because I really like that match as well, and uh, the intensity of it, and the pace they cut. So that would have been my five. My number two is uh, the the Darby Ethan Page Scorpio Sky uh, segment. I thought that was really well done, tying also into the Miro announcement, like everything around surrounding Darby. Uh, I thought was the number two thing on the show uh, for me. So what about your two? Yeah, well, to touch on your two, that, that Miro interview at the very end of the show before Blood and Guts really put the little uh, icing on the cake for me with those segments. So finally getting to see that killer instinct of Miro. Uh, my number two was actually the return of Technique by Taz. I that was my number four. I love, I love those videos. <laughs> I love it, too. It's funny. And now like... that Taz is healing it up. The way they bring this back, which we haven't seen in months, so like I said, we haven't seen it in months. I pop big just to see it, and then to see the content of the said technique by Taz video put it that much more over for me. When when I first jotted down, that was my number two, and then I like re looked over my notes and said, I can't put that as number two. That'll be number four. But uh, no, man. Hey, you like what you like, man. Like what I like, I loved it, and but I also loved the Darby segment and with the Miro icing on the cake, like you said. I feel like that has a little bit more umph to it. But we're we're in a, we're in agreement here, I think, on on all like the five things were I, my five, my top yeah. five essentially are just give or take because well, we my both, number one number one is blood and guts blood and guts up until Jericho got in the ring and that nothing against what Jericho did just that first fifteen minutes of blood and guts was was fucking awesome. Like, I don't swear much on here, but that was fucking awesome. Yeah, well, it's... it's it, Is it an AEW curse with these big gimmick matches that the matches themselves grace? And they just can't nail the finish? They can't stick the landing? Is that production. what it is? It's the production, man. And it's it's the... It's the same thing that was always said about WCW, the same thing that was always said about TNA, and guess what? It's the same... It's it's the same. It's Keith Mitchell. It's the same people. It's, it's the common denominator in all these <laughs> arguments. I mean, for it's as much as people. I can't stand uh, a lot of Kevin Dunn's producing in WWE with all those quick oh, yeah. cuts and the shaking cameras, that is that drives me up a wall. I stop watching a lot of stuff because yeah. of. Kevin I mean, Dunn just one move has like six camera cuts. Hearing an explanation from Mike Mansuri, who was a director there, and Kevin Dunn's replacement, he says why that's a Kevin Dunn thing, explains why he sees both sides of the fence with it. And his whole thing was, because it's like an action movie, it's supposed to take you into the action more. It takes me out, and I think most wrestling fans it say the make, same thing. It gives me motion sickness. I don't like time. it. But, but I agree. I will say, they don't miss shit on camera. No. Because they have production meetings. <laughs> they have production meetings, and they 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 uh they've been doing this shit for so long. Yeah, Keith Mitchell has been doing this shit a long time, and a lot of that same crew that he's had for a long time. But the difference is, because who's the other guy? Craig Leathers is also involved with WCW, TNA, mm-hmm. and AEW, and you can see the elements, the similarities throughout the three. And there's a lot more positives than negatives, but it's that home run production shit that they just don't have that. 
WWE does, and that's why WWE, that's what put WWE over the top, and that's what, what keeps them there. Well, I'll tell you, it seems like it seems like either the director or the cameramen themselves aren't wrestling fans and can't really see what what the action that's going on is going to lead to kind of situation. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's I a lot of missed stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a production meeting would help, especially on this blood and guts, especially for the last, that whole segment on top of the cage. Just somebody, and I don't know how their cameras, I, I don't know if it's a, a, did they do a six camera shoot or do they only do a four camera shoot? Hard I to really tell. Yeah. With blood and guts, because you obviously had the two, the two hard, they had the main hard cam, and then you had the other, you know, probably a jib cam or something. So you had the two different camera shots on top of the cage, which were also the wide shots down low. But you had, they had two or three guys on the floor that could have been capturing close up shit on the cage. Just that I felt was poorly put together, and well, whoever it's like, flipping it's like, the switch. There's a lot of that weekly. You know, yeah. say somebody goes to the outside of the ring, the camera goes to them. And then, you know, when somebody goes to the outside of the ring in AEW, you know what's coming next. 99 times out of 100, there's going to be a dive to the outside. And it seems like production, they, they miss the shot. Or, you know, they're trying to go back to the ring. And as they go back to the ring, the dive's being done. And they cut back to that floor camera. And you see the aftermath of said dive. Yes. No, that's a good call. But we wanted to end on a positive note. So, Blood and Guts overall oh, yeah. was fucking oh, yeah. awesome. Yep. <laughs> Awesome, worth uh, worth it. Um, I think it's the reception seems pretty strong up except for that ending stuff, from what I read. But I don't know what you've heard more about today. Just more, just people complaining about how bad the padding and oh. the fall type look. Yeah, because they want again. they want wrestlers to die. They want them to really be superheroes, and like they want real life Marvel movies uh, to be done out there in the pro wrestling yeah. world. And we saw that with Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara, and that was extremely cringy. Yes. <laughs> oh, my good Lord. That was, well, that was double or nothing last year. Oh, no. No, 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 no I'm sorry. That it was, was September. That was, that was all in. All, all Yeah, all yeah, out. yeah, yeah. The, uh, but, yeah, I mean, they're human beings, guys. Um, and safety needs to be there. But that's where it all falls on the production to give you that magical illusion that, hey, this guy might really be hurt, and they don't they don't show you the reveal of the magic trick on how. Uh, that's why those moments, like... They need the them mo- a Richie Posner. <laughs> the magic man. <laughs> that's why Not that Cal mo- Naughton Jr. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Mike Concho himself. <laughs> um, why do you need the TV and the radio up at the same time? Because I like to party. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Uh, you know what? We're not going to add on a better note than that. I'm not even going to go into the explanation. So thanks for listening. Check us out, yeah, check us out on our social medias. Use the hashtag GrappleMentalElite. Come back next week for another edition of the Elite Edition. Yeah, big Grappling dynamite. Grappling. Huge big dynamite. dynamite. We might we might have a bonus episode, not guarantee anything, but we may also have a bonus Elite Edition of a, of a road trip, if you will, possibly. Oh, yeah. So. So next Friday, a week from tomorrow, as of this recording, uh, old Matthew Priest will be heading his way over to the west side of the state of the, the Mitten. And That's right. Saturday morning, we're driving down to Indy and going to the Squared Circle Expo. 
check out the festivities going on there. So three and a half hour drive from my house down there here in Portage and a lot of chit chatting going on there and back. So who knows? Uh, we'll have rebooked AEW four times over, I'm sure. But <laughs> um but no, thanks for listening. Uh we'll definitely have an episode for you guys uh next week and uh use Grappleman Elite. We'll check you guys uh well we won't check you guys out. You check us out. And uh Thanks for listening, and watch Talladega Nights uh, in the next week, too, just because I think you should watch it every week. That's right. I'm a mad ship. Greatest generation.